Oh, hey, I'm so glad that you found us. My name's Michael, and I get to be the pastor at Shepherd's Community United Methodist Church in Lakeland, Florida. You're listening to the It's Better When You're Here podcast, where every week we upload the messages that are preached at our church every Sunday. We hope by listening to this, uh, you feel safe, heard, and loved by the God that created you. We hope this message makes an impact in your life. If listening to this makes a difference, reach out to us and connect with us either on social media or on our website, shepherdsumc.com. All right, here's the message. Good morning. Today's scripture, Leviticus chapter 23, verses 1 through 3. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, these are my appointed times, the Lord's appointed times, which you will declare to be holy occasions. Work can be done for six days, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of special rest, a holy occasion. You must not do any work on it. Wherever you live, it is a Sabbath to the Lord. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Woo! In a world dead set on more, 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 we serve a God that tells us rest is a thing of divine nature. If you were here early enough, you heard a soundtrack for our new series called Mixtape, wherein we were playing some of the songs I think might have been on your mixtapes. Gen Z, humor us for just a moment. Mixtapes are like a Spotify playlist, I guess, but a little bit different because you were limited to about 12 to 13 songs. Usually you'd have to edit out a DJ speaking, right? Anyone uh, in Gen X? I mean, I, I'm a millennial, so I don't know, but because um, I'm so young, um, I'm really not. Uh, <laughs> But uh, we were playing some of the songs that you might have heard on your mixtape to remind us of songs in the past, but also to ground ourselves in the playful nature of God's divine plan for our lives. The way that we follow a God that in a time and space we heard in our passage that everything was focused on more, 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 and building and growing and harvesting and, and planting. We serve a God that told us to take a rest. Our whole lives are symphonies of success and failure. A playlist that only has happy songs over and over again gets played one or two times. But our lives are full of highs and lows and every space in between, and we get to celebrate that as followers of Jesus. When we fail, we get to make amends and move on with our lives. Last week, we talked about the record button. This week, we're talking about the play button. I've been in church a long time, 34 years, in fact, and I've never heard anyone preach about the power of play. Has anyone ever heard that before? Is this the first time you've heard a sermon talked about prayer or uh, play? <laughs> I hope you've heard some about prayer. <laughs> Although, uh, anyways, um, I, as many of you know, I'm a recovering youth director. I was in youth ministry for 10 years. And even then, I wasn't telling 6th through 12th graders about play. I didn't really have to. They already knew about the spiritual value of play. I don't know about you, but if you've served in youth ministry, you may have had the distinct pleasure of being able to extol the virtues of one of the Gospels while playing dodgeball. What a beautiful gift that is to talk about sanctifying grace while pegging a 12-year-old in the head with a dodgeball. It's, I mean, glory to God. Amen. Hallelujah. But we, don't, we won't do that in this space. Wouldn't it be great if I just came out with a bag of dodgeballs and said, hey, new, new plan. But the concept of play is foreign to our culture and central to our gospel, central to our good news. The thing I'm going to say a lot, the thing you'll see on the screen now, if we refuse to play, we refuse to live the type of life God has for us. 
If we refuse to play, we refuse to live the type of life God has for us. See, as followers of God, as followers of Jesus, we see all the world around us as creation. We don't see the world around us as happenstance or just a lucky surprise. When we see the sunflowers growing in our community garden, which has anyone seen those? They're taller than me. They're so pretty. I can't even claim them. I didn't plant them. It was, can I tell you who it was? I don't, I don't know. Isn't that great? It's not someone that comes to this church. It's someone that lives in this neighborhood. They won it in a raffle at our Spring Fest. I should learn their name. I love that. I think it's so pretty, so wonderful. And when we see that sunflower, we know that it's not just cells and water and sunlight. We know that it is those things, but we also know that a creative God made those things. And when we look into the world around us, when we see a a coffee pot, the road that we drive on, the car that we drive in, We know that that's creation, something that God had a hand in making. And we see the things that we do as individuals as an act of creation as well. When we work, when we go to our jobs, when we raise our families, we see that it is an act of creation. We are a creative force in this world. In in fact, God created all of us that we might reflect God's glory, and a big part of that is We are co-creators. All of us, we co-create all of the things that we see around us because I don't know if you've read the beginning of Genesis, there's no eighth day where God makes Wi-Fi, right? There's no extra chapter where God makes pizza, although it is a gift from God, right? It takes our creative force, our creativity, our desire to see beauty in this world to create new things around us. So the work that we do, therefore, is a way that we mimic the nature of God. When we work, when we do our jobs, raise our families, come to church, serve in ministries, we are mimicking the very nature of God. You know this about me. I love to garden. We've got zinnias going in a flower patch, and I'm really excited about that. What I love about that is all it takes is a bit of dirt and a whole lot of water. God's been good enough to all of Florida. We have so much water, we don't know what to do with it. We breathe it in every day. Anyone else feel like they need scuba gear when they walk out of the house in the morning? What's the point in a shower is something that I literally heard this morning because we're underwater right now. But all we need is patience. And all of a sudden, we see these things coming up out of the ground, new creation. And friends, if we refuse to play We refuse to live the type of life God has for us. So the passage that we're reading today is from Leviticus, Leviticus chapter 23. Leviticus is a book you don't hear me preaching on very often, and there's a reason. Leviticus has a lot of rules in it, how to live one's life if you want to be a part of the people of Israel. A lot of those rules don't really apply to us. They're part of an old covenant, and and Jesus brought a new covenant, and so we have new rules that are different but we see the framework that God created for the people of God to live in. And one of the things that's discussed is the Sabbath. Everyone say Sabbath. Sabbath. See, the Sabbath exists because God rested, which reminds us that we too must rest. Now, I'll say a lot of countercultural things in this space, but I think saying that you need to rest 
might be the most anti-cultural thing that I'll say. We live in a culture that tells you to do more and more and more, that celebrates the grind, celebrates never resting, never letting up. But friends, that culture just simply cannot coexist with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need rest. See, in this passage, the Sabbath was something that separated Israel from the other nations. Other nations would work seven days a week. There were no weekends during that time in the Bronze Age. It was when the sun came up, you started working. When the sun went down, you stopped for a little bit. And then as soon as the sun came up, you got to it again. Human lives were about subsistence. They weren't about thriving. And when you put rest into every single week, it allows you to meter everything that you do around that holy day. That set-aside time that reminds you that you are not just what you do, you are instead a child of God. And it did become an opportunity for legalism. If you read the Gospels, if you read about Jesus, he's constantly getting into fights with religious leaders, really religious people, about how he was kind of breaking Sabbath rules here and there by the way that they decided. You know, he would go and he would heal someone and, and the uh, religious leaders would tell him that he was doing it wrong and he would say something cryptic and sassy as Jesus often did and would move about his day. Because the Sabbath was something to Jesus that was so much more than just a rule to follow. And Sabbath is hard for us because most work we do is born of fear. I, I can feel it in the room. I'm talking about play and I'm seeing in people's eyes, I, play sounds nice for retirement. Play sounds nice for kids, but I got a job. I've got things I need to do. I have bills I need to pay. And I hear you. I hear that fear. I don't know about you, but when I'm anxious about getting something done, I have this bad habit. I will do everything except for that thing. Anyone else? Does anyone have this experience? I've got a big long list on my to-do list. Time to research how the Vikings made it out of Scandinavia and read Wikipedia for three hours. Anyone? Or maybe you have good hobbies. I don't know. This diversion away from rest, from getting things done, is so central to who we are because what we do is born out of fear. But if we refuse to play, we refuse to live the type of life God has for us. Rest is a spiritual practice because it detaches us from the lie that we are what we do. The people of Israel were an enslaved people. When they were in Egypt, before God rescued them, they were enslaved by the Egyptians and they had no choice over what they could do with their time. They were taught underneath oppression that all they mattered for was a set of legs and arms to build bricks and to build buildings. They were divorced from their value in society and divorced from their value in the eyes of God. And so when God rescued the people of Israel from enslavement and freed them, God needed to remind the people of Israel of who they were, but most importantly, whose they were, who they belonged to, who they derived their value from. And rest was how that happened. Our culture would have us believe that we gain our meaning through work. I don't know about you, but if you meet someone new, 
It's pretty easy to ask someone, what do you do for a living? That up there with where'd you come from or uh, where were you born is like top 10 questions that tell you very little about a person, right? What do you do for a living? I, I don't know, a job. And, and you've not really learned anything about someone's fears, hopes, loves, ideas, what they believe about the world around them. Instead, you've just learned some stats. You've learned where they're going to be for 40 hours a week. You've, you've missed out on who they actually are. And the Sabbath law reminded the people of Israel that during their day-to-day week, they might be an Uber driver, a baker, a, a plumber. But on Sabbath, the only thing they were was a child of God. And friends, may your work be meaningful. And there will never be work as meaningful as you are to God. May your work be meaningful and there will never be work as meaningful as you are to God. We see this a lot, don't we? We see this in our lives. We see this in our lives maybe when we become parents. We lose ourselves in being parents to our kids. And don't get me wrong, I do believe that I'm on the planet to be a parent. That is my number one thing that I love to do. I love being your pastor. It's a super great gig, but y'all come in like third or fourth uh, in my life because I have, I think, right-sized priorities. But even then, even then I can lose who I am sometimes in my role as a father, a husband, a pastor. I can lose my view of myself as a child of God, as a son, as a brother, as an American, as a Floridian. I can lose myself in those definitions. But Sabbath requires me to remember whose I am. I do love being your pastor. And as a pastor, I get to do a lot of different things. And one of them is reminding you of what the Bible actually says. I know that a lot of us, we come from a background where maybe you're unchurched, you've never really been to church before, or maybe you went to church a whole lot, and it was a church that you didn't really love. It was a church that maybe wasn't the safest place for you, and you found yourself here, looked around, and you're like, huh, they're all kind of like me, huh? And I know that you may have been taught that to be a follower of Jesus is to be someone that is in their Bible 12 hours a day, sleeps for 20 minutes, gets up and prays for the rest of the night, right? They have this kind of regimented militaristic view of of how we really need to beat ourselves into following Jesus. But one of the things I get to tell you is that your walk with God should not be a beating. I know, radical, right? But really, I think sometimes we need to be reminded of this, that your walk with God should not be a beating. Now, a walk with Christ is not easy. There are easier ways to live your life than to follow Jesus. They're not as fulfilling, they're not as meaningful, and they don't end in life. However, it doesn't need to be a beating. I get to talk with people about their faith, and I often hear a list of shoulds. I I also kind of feel sometimes like I'm the, the truant officer. You know, when I sit down and I talk with someone, and all of a sudden I hear about how often they pray, I'm like, I I really just wanted to know what you wanted for coffee, but I'm glad that you pray eight times a day. That's more than (laughs) me. But really, we come up with this laundry list of actions that we do thinking that it creates a faithful life, when in reality, a faithful life is not a list of shoulds. It's a walk with God. I hear these shoulds like, I should pray more. I should read more. I should serve more. I should fast more. I should confess more. But friends, our lives 
in Christ are more than just a list of shoulds. They're a list of I get to's. I don't know if you've caught it. Every Sunday morning when I come up, I say I get to be the pastor of Shepherd's Community United Methodist Church, the church with the longest name. I love that I get to do this. I don't have to spend time with my friends. I get to spend time with my friends. I don't have to be a parent. I get to be a parent. I don't have to read my Bible. I get to read my Bible. I don't have to pray. I get to pray. Do you hear the little difference of the words? When you have a list of shoulds, you've got a list of things that you can fail at. When you get a list of coulds, you have an opportunity to grow. I could read my Bible more. I could sit in quiet and not do anything. That's called meditation. I could do that. I could be in small group community with other people. I I could do that. So today I want you to let go of the shoulds and move towards the coulds. If we refuse to play, we refuse to live the type of life God has for us. So I've been talking about play, and I know that some of you don't know what play is, which is so sad. I'm so sorry. Some of us have just decided to grow up, and, and what a bummer, isn't it? You know, you don't actually have to. You can, you can go ahead and stay a kid your whole life. The trick is to just remain in wonder in the world around you. But play is this. You have to like it. I don't know if you know this, but God doesn't need rest. God rested on the seventh day of creation. God doesn't have a lazy boy that God puts God's celestial feet up and puts on the celestial baseball game to fall immediately asleep because that's the only purpose of watching baseball on TV, amen? It's a sleeping pill with a bunch of players. God doesn't need to rest God's weary bones. God has no bones, at least I think. God doesn't need rest. God is an infinite being. God chooses to rest. I'm gonna tell you to play more so you can connect with God, but so help me if you turn this into another box you need to check off, I'll, I'll, I'll fight you in prayer. Not in, not in fisticuffs, but in prayer. God doesn't need rest. God gets to rest. We get to rest. And so whatever your play is, it has to be something that you like. I felt a lot of peer pressure to like sports as a kid. A lot of guys, that's, that's how guys communicate. You know, guys of a certain generation Won't talk about emotions, but they sure will cry over the Florida Gators or or the Florida State Seminoles. No one's ever cried over the USF Bulls or I would throw my own team underneath the bus. And, And I just, I never really got it. I like sports to a certain extent, but it wasn't my thing. And so I felt this peer pressure. I need to watch football. And then I'd fall asleep. I like football, but it's boring. I'd rather watch, I don't know, British Baking Show. I'd rather talk with my friends. I'd rather go on a walk. I'd rather do other things other than watch highly paid people beat each other up. And so when you're searching for your play, that play that will connect you with the Spirit of God, make it be something that you like. If you like to golf, golf. If you like to fish, fish. If you like to just not be bothered and sit in a cool, dark room and watch reruns of Dawson's Creek, do that. I I hear amen from the Gen X uh, ladies in the room. Yeah. Maybe some millennials too. All right, here's the other thing. You can't get paid for it. There's this adage that if you find a job you love, you'll never work a day in your life. Oh, that's so sweet. That's not true. I, oh man, I love my job. Holy cow. And I work, y'all. Like, and there are days when I end and I'm like, whoa, I just worked a lot. I'm tired. It doesn't mean I need to find a different job. It just means that 
you work when you work. If you get paid for something, that's not play. If, you're, if we have a professional football player in the house, please let me know. But if you do a game for your life, if you're a teacher and you just get to hang out with kids because that's all teachers do, just kidding, just kidding, just kidding, you know that that's not play. You gotta find something you don't get paid for. And friends, this is so important, especially for parents. It can't be for someone else. If you're artistic and you're making a painting or weaving something and you're thinking about who you're going to give it to, your focus is off of who it needs to be on. Friends, can I convince you to love yourself today? Can I convince you that you're worth an hour or two a week just for yourself and not for someone else? Can I convince you that the God of the universe took time for God's self to rest and you deserve that very same thing? If we refuse to play, we refuse to live the type of life God has for us. All right, so how are you supposed to do this? Well, you need to make time, and I promise you it won't be convenient. If you're anything like me, when I want to spend time on myself, I try to find anything else that I can get done before I do that. Speaking about having time to myself, that's normally when the pool gets cleaned extra well, right? When the shed finally gets cleaned out, that's usually when I'm thinking about how I can take care of myself. You need to make time. No one will offer you a free hour to play or to rest every week. You need to make time for yourself. You'll produce less. You'll get less done. Things will be left on the to-do list, and that is okay. You are not what you do. You are not a human doing. You are a human being. You are not what you do. And work against excusing your play. Oh, you know, I I go golfing uh, with my friends once a quarter, but I I only do it because, you know, my, my friends really need a witness in their life, right? They really need a good Christian example. So that's why I golf once a quarter, which if you have a good Christian witness on the golf course, wow, please write a book. I want to read it. Or I like to set aside a time to read by myself without helping anyone else in the house. I do that, you know, so that I'm a little bit more level-headed for everyone else. No, take your time for yourself. Learn to play for yourself. Child of God who deserves love and deserves play. If we refuse to play, we refuse to live the type of life God has for us. And this is the very nature of God. We see in our passage, wherever you live, it is a Sabbath to the Lord. You must not do any work on it. The seventh day is a Sabbath of special rest. And I really want to focus in on this. Wherever you live, it is a Sabbath to the Lord. You know, what we have to understand when we read the Old Testament, it's written to a group of people that got moved around a lot, whether they wanted to or not. They got moved away from their home again and again and again, but the thing that they could take with them was that Sabbath day of rest. You know, the God of the universe had a special relationship with the people of Israel, and that God knew that these people would be moving around, and he wanted them to know at least once a week that the God of the universe cared for them through rest. To be like God is to be at peace with all things. That's why we want to be like God. That's what we pursue. And to be like God is to see the value of rest. 
We have to see the value of our own rest because of who we are in God's eyes, not for any other reason. And to avoid play is to avoid the nature of God. The God of the universe created all things around us, and on the seventh day, God rested. How will we reflect that nature of God? We'll be so different. We'll be so different to have this playful nature within us. Oh my goodness, what would it look like if we were that church that had a bunch of goofballs in it? I think we might be close to that. Amen. But what would it look like if we were a church that saw playing pickleball with our friends as an act of worship? That saw digging up compost and planting seeds as an act of worship? What would it look like if we had a group of people here in this church that gave their sanctuary over for Nerf gun battles, you know, once every six months as an act of worship? It's a thing that we already do. What would that look like if we were a people known for our play? Because friends, if we refuse to play, we refuse to live the type of life God has for us. To preach on the value of play can feel easy, but if we are to become people of the Sabbath, we will develop values that are massively countercultural. If we refuse to play, we refuse to live the type of life God has for us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right, friends, I hope you heard something in today's message that made an impact in your life, helped you know that you're loved by God, and inspired you to do something about the gospel that is offered to you. Now receive this blessing as you go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen.